0: You're listening to Summit Podcasts, where you'll find sermon audio, weekly discussions of the message, the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, and much, much more. Subscribe today at summitpodcasts.church and share this episode with your friends. Summit Church, every life made different.
1: Hey, good evening. For those of you here in the room, you were listening to some cool jazz by Michael Bond. I don't know what that playlist was you had going, but it was, it was smooth. Uh, For those of you that are watching online, joining us, uh, we are so grateful. Thanks for taking time to grow your leadership. And if you're listening to this podcast or watching this live or later, whatever the case is, we just want to say thanks. We appreciate you joining us for Leadership Night. For those of you here in the room, we appreciate you as well. And uh, let me just run down what Leadership Night is real quickly. Leadership Night will take uh, 20, 25 minutes uh, to go through a leadership principle together of some sort. Uh, Usually it's topical, but we deviate from time to time. And then, So I'll do some teaching, and then at least the last half of our time together, we just do some Q&A, and uh, we open it up, and people in the room will answer, and uh, and really that's probably my favorite part of uh, leadership night is us just being able to dialogue together. And so that's basically what it looks like. So as we're walking through this this evening, feel free to jot down some questions. And for those of you that are watching in Blairsville— um with pastor colin there if you would like you'll have an opportunity for some questions as well and we'll cut you guys loose a few minutes early so that you guys can talk there in blairsville as well those of you watching online uh post your comments let us know and we will do our best to get to those as well so um with that said let me just pray over our time together and then we'll jump into the evening lord thank you so much Thank you for a new year, and I thank you that the folks that are here that are listening and watching have started their year in a way that they wanna get better, they wanna grow their leadership. And so I pray that you would just minister in our time together. I pray that you would help us learn, uh, take a, at least a nugget away from this. It's gonna help us lead better, whether it's in our home or in our business, in our community, whatever the case may be, and ultimately I pray that you be glorified through this. If there are those that have come in here with heavy hearts, with things that are weighing them down, I pray that, um, that just for a little bit at least, there would be relief from that as we dialogue together. So God, I pray you minister to us and through us, in Jesus' name, amen. So, um, does anybody know, what is the third Monday of January? Does anybody know? Martin Luther King Day, that's right. And as I was thinking about what to share for tonight, um, And just looking at some different things, I thought, you know what? Uh, Most everyone is off on the third Monday of January and we get off because it's Martin Luther King Day. It's a federal holiday. So banks are closed, schools are out, all those kind of things. And some of you (laughs) parents right now are like, I don't want to think about school being out because my kids just went back and I needed some relief from them, which I get. Um, But I just thought we would take some time tonight to talk about some leadership lessons from Martin Luther King Jr. And so here's what I'm gonna do. I'm just gonna read some quotes. Um, we've got nine different quotes that I'm gonna read, and then we're just gonna talk about some leadership principles from that. And then we're just gonna unpack that together when we finish up. So um, so I'm gonna jump right in. Uh, this first quote is from uh, from 1964. It's from a book called uh, Why We Can't Wait. It's available, you can pick it up on Amazon. and uh, it's this, lightning makes no sound until it strikes. And I love this quote because what he's talking about and what the implication is, is that uh, leaders that take no action make no difference. And it's important for leaders to be proactive. And when we have to react, that we react with, uh, with, sure, with surety, with confidence, uh, that we're not always going to get it right, but we're going to get it right with. I'm com- um, get it wrong with confidence, even if we have to get it wrong. Um, I am somebody personally that I default to action. I think inaction is, in, for the most part, is a is a sin. I don't think we should just sit and wait. And I think uh, that's gotten me into trouble from time to time. But normally, uh, it is better to move to do something than it is to wait. And I will tell tell you this in my experience inaction and silence sends a very loud message. So when we wait and just see how things turn out, um, it doesn't always turn out very well. And that sends a message to the people that we're trying to lead. Um, And in my experience as well, a lot of times when you're dealing with a problem, little problems become big problems. And one of the things we tell our staff all the time is don't let a little monster become a big monster. And because we default to inaction at times, what happens is, we think, well, this problem will solve itself. Well, this employee that's an issue will get better. They'll figure it out. And we're just praying if we, if we spread some pixie dust over things that it will all turn out. But the reality is our inaction causes things to get worse. So great leaders should be um, actively killing apathy in their own life and in the life of their organization. Um, no matter how good an organization is, an organization will settle if they're not careful. Um, every Every church I see in America that's closing at one time was a strong church. Um, I see churches that have multi-million-dollar buildings that were built in the 1880s. They've got endowments, uh, all these things to maintain their their building, but their organization has crumbled because they got apathetic at some point. They settled, got comfortable and they stop taking action. So one of the most important things we can do as leaders is continue to take action even when we achieve some success, if that makes sense. Uh, That we continue to be people that are looking for ways to get better. And we understand this quote from Dr. Martin Luther King, that lightning makes no sound until it strikes, that we have to take action if we're going to have a message that goes forth. Um, So that's the first one, lightning makes no sound until it strikes. Number two, this is from Uh, The three dimensions of a complete life, and it's this. Every man must decide whether he will walk in the light of creative altruism or the darkness of destructive selfishness. Creative altruism, that's the word of the day is altruism, by the way. If you want to impress your family later, just drop altruism on them. And some of you, your husbands won't even know what it means. They'll just nod and be like, they're brilliant. I can't believe they just use the word altruism. Um, but, But basically what he's saying is, what are you living your life for? Uh, and this is a question we have to ask ourselves: Am I living my life for my own success? And especially when I was younger, I was talking. My wife and I had had lunch today with a couple we had never met. Um, they pastor a church over Marion Center, young couple, and they just reached out and said, "Hey, can we connect?" And so. I'm at the age now where other people are like, you're old, tell me how to do my life better. I'm like, what? Uh, so they just said, hey, we wanna learn from you guys. And they were asking us questions. And and we were talking a lot about our early ministry. And, and one of the things I told him is, I'm grateful that I'm at the place now where I don't feel like I have to prove myself, where I feel like uh, no matter how go- good or bad our church is doing, I feel like as long as I'm doing what God's called me to, I don't need to be... Um, you know, a speaker at a conference, or I don't need to be the headline. I don't need to be the most recognized person in a room. I'm okay with that. And I, it wasn't always that way because I was when I was younger, I was insecure and I wanted to see my success and I want to be a big platform and people recognize me and have followers and all those kind of things. And I think with maturity, hopefully we can get to a place where we're not just living for our own success, where we understand that success isn't just about, Um, us doing well, but it's about promoting health and success with the people around us. Uh, So the question I want to ask you is, are you living for your own success? Because good leaders seek to add value to the organization. And this actually promotes longevity in healthy organizations. When you are part of a healthy organization and you are looking out not just for yourself and your own interests, but for the interests of those around you, um, they will make a place for you. They will look for you uh, to to stay, and they will want you to stick around. Um, I, I've mentioned before that I worked as a corporate recruiter for a while in Fort Worth, Texas, and I was I was the only Christian in the organization in the, that that office, and there were oh, probably half a dozen to a dozen of us that officed together, and. Uh, I know I will never forget i cold called a uh, what was it i think it was a i think it was a um, like a serve pro or something like that that was the industry I worked with and i just cold called Their general manager asked, and they got connected to the HR director. And I just said, "Hey, here's what I do. I just want to find out about your organization. Tell me." And I started asking the questions. Tell me about what you guys are doing. What's your biggest issue? And and this HR director just said, "Well, here's what I'm looking for." And I don't even remember the exact role it was, but it wasn't just somebody to drive a truck. It was something specific. And I just said, "Hey, listen, we don't do very well with that." specifically, but I will tell you that, and I named another firm, and I said, but if you call them, I think they've got several people they're ready to place, and so, and she said, what? And I just said, well, yeah, you know, if that's a help, and I hung up, and the guy that was across from me said, what did you just do? And I said, well, I told her, where she could find her employee. And he said, you never do that. You close the deal, take the you know." And he just berated me. Uh, Because up to this point, I was never in sales. I was never, that was not my job. I had been in ministry and I had to make a living. So I was doing this job. And uh, about a week later, I got a phone call from that HR director. And she called and said, I just want to thank you. I called them and it worked out and I hired, but I've got six more positions I need to hire. And I want to see if I could, place a, place a, their, their placement with you guys. And I was like, absolutely. And it turned out that I was adding value to her by losing money, but it actually gained us money in the end because I wasn't just looking out for my best interest. I could have sold her. I could have said, oh, we can place that. You give it to me and give me. And I could have hustled and maybe placed her candidate. But because I added value, it actually added more value to the organization. And so I think it's important for us to understand not just as a principle in our workplace, but in a principle in our life. If we will look to add value to the people around us, it'll actually add value to our lives. If we look out for the best interests of the people around us, it'll actually add value to us as well. And this is one thing that Dr. Martin Luther King understood. Number three, uh, we must use time creatively in the knowledge that the time is always ripe to do right. And this is, from his letter from a Birmingham jail in 1963. I love this quote. We must use time creatively in the knowledge that the time is always ripe to do right. The time is always ripe to do right. Um, we understand that there are certain things that are finite. We understand resources are finite. We understand um, relationships or jobs can be finite. But one of the things we forget often is that time is finite, that it is limited. Uh, We run out of time quicker than we think we will. I've got a daughter that's 18 and a daughter that's 21. My 21 year old is gonna be moving to Greece in like five weeks, six weeks, something like that. And our time with her is done. She is out of our house at that point. She's gonna be living in Greece as a missionary. And if I talk about it very much, I'm gonna get all choked up. So I won't do that. But then my youngest daughter is going to be moving to Nashville in the fall and we're going to be empty nesters. Um, And I'm realizing with more clarity now that my time with my girls is finite. And it's easy for me to look back and think of the times that I thought, man, I I thought I had more time and I squandered it on something else. Um, And thankfully, I don't have many regrets about the way I spent my time in relation to my girls. But this applies to so many areas of our lives. There's so many times that we think um, in, in the course of our jobs, well, I've got more time. Well, I can do that later. Well, this isn't that big a deal. I'll take care of that. I'll resolve that. I'll come back to that. I'll fix that. Um, but the time is ripe to do what's right right now. We don't know what the future holds. And so it's important for us to take advantage of the time we have. Um, and so the question is, how are you leveraging and redeeming your time? The time that you have been given in your job, with your team, with the people you lead, um, how are you redeeming that time? How are you leveraging that time? Are you using it uh, to the best of your ability or are you, are you squandering it? Not just with your team, but with your friends and with your family. Because again, I've I've had the unfortunate pleasure to talk to people um, in the last moments of their life. And I've never, ever, ever heard anybody say, I wish I'd spent more time in the office. I wish I had worked harder. Uh, But I have lots of people that'll say, I wish I'd fixed things with my friend. I wish I had done things differently with my family. And so the question is, what are you doing with your time? How are you leveraging your time? And are you doing what's right? Number four, Um, this is from his article called The Purpose of Education from 1948. And the quote is this, the function of education is to teach one to think intensively and to think critically. Intelligence plus character, that is the goal of true education. And I could make some commentary here on education in the world we live in today that I don't know that that's the exact aim of all the education in our world today. But I love his idea because what he's saying is... um, to think intensively and critically is very important when it comes to being educated. And this is a cliche and it's a cliche for a reason, but, but leaders are learners. Uh, it's so easy, all of us, it's so easy to lose ourselves mindlessly on social media. And we scroll and we scroll and we scroll in our downtime. And one of the things uh, I did over Christmas is I just resolved, you know what, I'm going to because uh, we were off, we closed our office between Christmas and New Year's, and and I was in Oklahoma with going to see my mom, and I just decided I'm not going to download movies to my iPad. Uh, all I'm going to do is read, and I'm not going to be scrolling constantly. I'm just going to read. There's some books I want to get through, and um, and I did. I plowed through four of the five books that I wanted to read over this six-day period essentially, and that's about all I did was read. But. I got so much out of it, so much more than I would have if I was doing this for hours, looking at Instagram reels or looking at Facebook, uh, hearing who is outraged at whoever it is. And one of the things we have to understand is if I want to grow as a leader, I have to be learning. I have to grow myself because it's easy if we get to a spot for me as a pastor of a church to go, I'm the pastor. I'm good. Um, what do I need to learn? But the reality is if I'm not learning, then our organization is capped with me. I am the, the lid for our organization. And so it's important for me to continue to be learning, to continue to be growing, to, to see things that I don't normally see on my own. And the way I do that is by intentionally learning. Um, and so my question is, what are you learning? Um, and one of the things I try to do regularly with myself is just ask myself, what did I learn today? Uh, some of you have kids that are school age. And, uh, and one of the questions that I used to ask when the kids were little, I would say, hey, how was school today? And that's the worst question ever. Whether you've got girls or boys, fine. Like, and my girls, Emma especially. Um, Emma, she's not here so I can talk about her. Emma, she, she, was usually tired at the end of the day and she didn't want to engage. And I'd say, Emma, how was your day today? Fine. It wasn't fine. Tell me what's going on. What'd you learn? And this was a question I would ask. What did you learn? Because I didn't want to ask you a yes or no question. Nothing. Like, you learned something. You know, who'd you eat lunch with? And I would ask, and finally she'd say, dad, leave me alone. I'm tired. I don't want to talk. But you would ask the question, what did you learn today? Um, and especially when your kids were younger and they were learning At a, it seems like a more rapid pace. They're learning to read. They're learning shapes. They're learning all the things and they could tell you. And this is an important question for us to to ask ourselves. What did I learn today? How did I grow today? Because maybe it was one thing, one nugget, one tiny piece of information that's going to help you get at least a little bit better. And I think it's important for us to continue to ask that question. What did I learn today? How did I grow? How did I get better? Number five. Um, This is from a sermon in Montgomery, Alabama from 1957. Dr. King said this, life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? And this goes back to the question we asked or the the statement we made number two um, to decide to live in the light of creative altruism. And so this is a similar vein as that one, but he, this is so important because he understood his life's. Purpose and mission was to do good for other people. And so he asks the question, or he tells us to ask ourselves the question, what am I doing for others? And so the question is, are, are you making your life better or are you making the lives around you better as well? Because there's nothing wrong with you making your life better. In fact, I just talked about it. I want to be a better leader, so I'm gonna learn. I wanna improve myself. But the goal for improving myself is not just so I can make my life better. But my hope is I can help my employees, I can help my team, I can help the people in our church, I can help my family and make their lives better as well. And it really is important for us to understand um, that that adding real value in life is not about making my life better, but it's about helping others' lives be better. That I'm looking out for their benefit and their well-being as well. And number six. This is from his, I have a dream speech. Uh, You probably heard of that one, I would imagine, Uh, from 1963 at the Lincoln Memorial. And this is not the quote you think is gonna happen, but we'll get to that one. Um, He said this, we cannot walk alone. And this is such a simple but profound statement. Because no matter who we are, no matter what kind of organization we're in, whether it's a family, whether it's um, a department, whether it's a company, for-profit, non-profit, none of it matters, we all need people to lead with. We are all better with others around us. Um, there is so much data so, from a sociological perspective, uh, in spe- uh, perspective that it tells us that Um, the outcomes for children are better when they have two parents in the home. When they have a mom and dad in the home, the outcomes are typically better. Uh, When there's one parent in the home, whether it's a mom or a dad, the outcomes are worse. Why? Because we're better together. Um, in, In leadership, I've rarely seen one solo person achieve a high level of success on their own. They usually have a team of people working with them. Now, maybe one person gets all the credit, but there's usually a team of people that are working alongside them to make the the dream a reality, to to bring things to fruition. And it's important for us to find the right people, to find the people that are gonna help us uh, get to where we wanna be and achieve what we feel like we wanna achieve. And and so the reality is we need other people, Uh, not just not just for the work, and, and this is important too, not just to get the work done because I know, I mean, several of you, I know some of your stories and I know that some of you are not thrilled with your jobs or with your workplace and there's things you're not happy about. And, and there is a high value in us enjoying our work. And so when we understand we need others and maybe more importantly, others need us, um, it it makes the work a little more enjoyable. Um, My dad, he worked highway construction for, oh, 30 years. And one of the things my dad, I remember my dad telling me as a kid, I was probably eight years old. And I remember my dad telling me, son, if you love your job, you'll never work a day in your life. Now that's not exactly true, but there's a principle that's true there because I've had I love my job but there are definitely days that this is work that this is not easy to do and you're probably the same way but the principle is true that if I love what I'm doing and more importantly I love the people I'm doing it with it makes the work so much more enjoyable and so you can go to work and you can keep your head down and you can do your job and you know keep your nose clean do your work and you know clock in and clock out and that's it or you can Invest in the people around you. You can look out for them. You can understand that, that we are better together than we are alone. And as you do, I believe you're gonna enjoy your work a little more. And there's something really powerful when we enjoy what we're doing. Number seven. Um, this is from Advice for Living from 1958. Dr. King said this. People fail to get along because they fear each other. They fear each other because they don't know each other. They don't know each other because they have not communicated with each other. And this is such an important leadership principle because what he's talking about is trust. And trust may be the most important factor in, in any leadership position. Because if you don't have trust, it doesn't matter what your role is. It doesn't matter what your title is. Uh, people won't really follow you if they don't trust you. Um, and so it's so important for us to earn trust from the people that we are working with and serving, because um, really trust is not just a key to leadership; it's a key to relationships. And if if we don't have relationship, we can't actually lead the people that we're in relationship with. Um, we cannot trust if we do not empathize, and we cannot empathize if we don't ask questions and listen. And so I think. One of the best things we can do as leaders is not just bark orders, because this is something I've seen. A lot of leaders are good at telling people what to do, but they're not very good at leading people through change. And one of the most important keys at leading people through change is asking questions and then listening. Um, Hey, I was talking to a pastor, um, I was talking to a pastor earlier this week and we were talking about this idea of leading uh, uh, his congregation through some significant changes. And I just told them, I said, I think the best thing you can do because you know they're going to be resistant is not to come in and say, here's what we're doing. Everybody get on board. And I said, because you don't even know what their actual... Uh, resistance is to the change. You think you do, but you don't actually know. So I think it's really important for you to, why don't you ask some questions? Why don't you sit down and say, hey, I know we've got a common vision. We want to reach lost people for Jesus Christ. So help me understand, um, what do you want to see? What are the things you don't want to see? And I said, just ask some questions. And I said, you will figure out the right pathway for change by just asking some questions and listening. And I said, don't let them dictate what God's called you to do, but at the same time, ask some questions. Cause I said, there might be some simple solutions that you're not discovering cause you're just not asking questions. And so I think it's so easy for us to tell people we're changing. Here's what we're doing, let's get on board, rah, rah, rah. But we don't actually go, hey, tell me, tell me what your, your holdup is. Tell me what your um, resistance is to this idea, to this problem, uh, to this situation, to this outcome. Um, I've told you guys before, a lot of times people don't disagree with your vision. They disagree with your methodology. So, you know, if you're a for-profit company and you say, hey, we want to increase sales by 20% this year, hardly anybody's going to say, no, we don't want to do that. We want to keep it flat. They're going to say, yeah, we want to increase sales by 20%. Here's how we're going to increase sales by 20% this year. We're going to do this and this and this. We're going to cut this area. And all of a sudden people go, no, 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 no. We're not doing that. And, and it's the same thing in churches. It's the same thing in virtually any area, your family. Hey, we want to see this. We all want to see this. Yes. Here's how we're going to do it. I don't know about that. And so it's important for us to be asking the right questions for us to be in relationship and have that equity so that we can lead people through the changes that we're actually proposing. All right. Number eight. Um, this is from the speech at Um, Barat Junior High School in Philadelphia from 1967. He said this, if you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, you have to keep moving forward. And I love this idea because it's this idea of tenacity, that we are going to move forward uh, no matter what's going on, no matter what the circumstances are. There is no excuse. It's a good enough excuse. If we make one inch of progress today, if that's the best we can do, we're going to make one inch of progress today. And there's something really powerful about a leader who will say, I might not have all the answers, but we're moving in this direction. Um, that they can lead. And and we were talking about this. I was talking about it with Michael earlier this week. By the way, we've got a podcast called the Back 40 Leadership Podcast. This is a shout out. Michael hosts that for us. And we just talk through basically church stuff, but uh, there's application for leadership as well. But one of the things we were talking about is there's this balance between confidence and humility that a good leader understands that they can't just be a 10 on confidence all the time and a zero on humility. They've got to be both. You've got to be confident and have humility. And there's something powerful about saying, hey, we're going, I don't know how we're going to get there exactly. I don't know the every single step, but we're going to make progress. Let's go. And there's something inspiring about that. Like we want to follow people like that. And so I think when Dr. King says this, hey, we're making progress, no matter what you do, make progress today. Um, it's, it's powerful. And um, I don't recommend David Goggins. I don't know if you know who David Goggins is. He's, he's not safe for work, that's for sure. But this is, sounds like something David Goggins would say with fewer expletives. Um, because he's always about, today, you're not gonna you know, sit back, you're gonna go, go, you know, that kind of stuff. And it's inspiring. And so I wanna encourage you to, to endeavor to be a person like this. That, that every single day you're gonna say, I might not make it a mile, but I'm not going backwards. Today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go move forward. Even if it's only an inch, I'm going to move forward. Um, and whatever progress I can make today, I'm going to make it. But every single day, I'm going to move forward, and we're going to make progress. Organizationally, we might not get exactly where we want to be, but we're moving the ball down the field. Every single day, we're going to move it. If, even if it's just an inch, we're going to go. And then the last one, last but not least, this is maybe the quote that... Uh, that you were envisioning. Uh, this is from his I Have a Dream speech on the steps, of the Lincoln Memorial from 1963. Dr. King said this, and, and by the way, there are transcripts of this speech. There are audio files you can go back and listen to. I think it's about a 15-minute speech. It really is not long to listen to, but it's so powerful and so inspiring. Um, his... His skill for oration was fantastic. And actually, the section on I Have a Dream, uh, there's about four or five paragraphs where he starts with I Have a Dream. And that was, uh, that was ad-libbed. It wasn't in his written notes. Um, and so, again, that's as, as somebody who speaks publicly for a living, it's pretty impressive. Uh, so let me read this to you. He said, I have a dream that one day, on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day, even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. Here's what I know. Um, Great leaders have to be able to uh, have to be able to uh, communicate a compelling vision. You have to be able to cast a compelling vision for a desired destination. It can't just be eloquent. It can't just be emotional. Because you can say a lot of emotional things with a lot of catchphrases and keywords that are going to stir some things up. But what Dr. King did so well is he, he painted a picture of a preferred destination where he said, hey, here's where we're going, but let me tell you about where I believe we could go. And he He cast a vision for a preferred destination for not just people of color, but for our nation. And this is so important for us to understand. This is a skill you can learn. Um, I tell people all the time, you might not be the most dynamic public speaker in the world, but there are are tips and tricks and things you can learn to become a better speaker, uh, to learn how to cast a more powerful vision for your department, for your teams, for your company, for the people you're leading, to help them be inspired to get on board and go where you feel like you're supposed to be taking your team. And so I would encourage you, um, be doing the things that you need to do. One of our staff, um, one of the goals that we talked about for, for this year was to work on public speaking and This person has been very diligent about saying, okay, hey, I'm gonna do this and this and this and this. And when we talked the other day, this person told me, hey, here's some things I'm actively doing to work on my public speaking, to work on uh, how I can cast vision. And it's a skill you can learn and develop. And so it's easy for us to go, well, I'm just not very good at that, so I'm not going to do it. And we do that with lots of different things. Like administration is another one. Well, I'm not very administrative, so I just can't do that. It's like, nope, nope, that's just you being lazy. You can do it, I promise. You can organize stuff, you can figure out how to do spreadsheets, I promise. And if you just don't want to, that's another thing. But the same thing is true with public speaking and with vision casting. And if you want to learn how to do it better, you can. There are lots of uh, tools out there for you. There's lots of free resources on the internet if you check them out. Um, so these are my nine quotes from Dr. King uh, with some leadership lessons. And uh, included in the notes, um, if you get them, there will be some, and obviously the, the notes, we, we email the notes, right, Vanessa? So in the notes that you're emailed, there'll be links to uh, some different... Um, some different articles on Dr. King that I had read through that have some leadership principles and things like that. Uh, so I will, we will send that to you. And those links will be available at the bottom of the notes if you're interested. So at this time, let's just open it up and let's just talk a little bit. Um, kind of scattershot, lots of different ideas and thoughts from a leadership perspective. And so I'd love to open it up and just see what you guys think. If there was something that kind of struck a chord for you. Uh, something you feel like, man, this is something I need to be working on or working through. Uh, if you've got questions or application points, whatever it is, let's just talk through it.
0: You spoke about the wisdom of taking action and the danger of inaction. So for the Christian leaders who are listening to this, how do you tell the difference between waiting on God and slothful inaction?
1: Hmm. Well, you tell the difference between waiting on God and slothful in action? That's a great question, Michael Bond. Uh, does anybody in the room have a thought to that? You're like, if the pastor's not answering, I am definitely not going to answer that question. The difference between slothful in action and waiting on God. I promise, if you answer, I'm not going to say you're wrong. I mean, unless you are, then I will say it. But All right. I, I will say that is probably a challenge a lot of us deal with. Um... But one of the, I think one of the ways you can tell if your action is getting you ahead of God is if doors continue to be closed. And this is something that I do Um, because, because of the way I'm wired, I've prayed prayers like, God, I need you to close doors if I'm being stupid. Like, make this clear to me because I can get this wrong because I default to action. So I need you to make this clear. And there's been some times like with our board that, that our board, we work really well together, but there've been times our board's been like, no, nah, we're not doing that. It's like, w- but it's a good idea, right? And, but it's, this is what I prayed for. I prayed God closed doors if I'm getting ahead of you or if I'm getting ahead of myself or, you know. And so I think that's one way we can see is we say, okay, God's closing doors. Maybe I need to hit pause on this. Maybe I need to wait.
0: So then it's useful to ask other people who might be able to speak into it and see whether or not you're just being fearful.
1: Yeah, I think it's important to ask the right people. Um, Because like earlier, I talked about the pastor who I said, hey, ask some questions. I told him, ask the right people. Uh, Ask people you trust. Ask people, don't just put out a survey because there's some doofuses out there, right? That you don't want, you don't need to hear what they're saying. And so I think for no matter what your, um, what your, job is, no matter what your industry is, there are wise people you could ask and go, hey, I need feedback about this. I need, I need some outside eyes looking at this. Uh, and I think that's
0: really important. In, in Christian circles, we've used the expression before that uh, I'm going to take a step of faith. Uh-huh. Um, and I think what's important to realize there is when you're, when you're still waiting and seeking for God's direction, it doesn't imply that your feet are still planted flat. Yeah. It implies that you've lifted your foot and you you are attempting to make a step mm-hmm. in a direction, and you're just waiting for God to to place it in the right place. You're you're yeah. waiting for His word to light the path, and and make it clear.
1: Yeah, and I think that's important for us as leaders to understand is that very if we wait to have the whole map laid out for us, we're never going to move uh, because that's not how God works in our life. But I will also say, when I first came to Summit, and John was on the board when I first came to Summit, but there was a uh, there was a, a value of the church was we take uh, steps of faith, not leaps of faith. Was that the right way? Something like that? Okay, but, but here's, and here's and I hated that when I first came because it was contradictory to my nature. It's like, no, we're gonna take leaps of faith. But here's the thing, here's the resolution I came to with that is that um, every step of faith looks like a leap of faith, but it only seems like a step of faith in hindsight. Does that make sense? So there are times that we're doing things. Where we're like, oh my gosh, this is insane. Why would I be doing this? And then in hindsight, you're like, well, that was stupid that I was nervous about that. Why was I nervous? Because you realize, oh, this was just a step of faith. And so I think we do take steps of faith, but at times we do it and we're going, oh my gosh, I have no idea what's going on here. And I think it's important for us to live that way. Um, not just as Christians, but I think as leaders, if we wait to have all the information and all the, man, we're gonna die from our
0: immobility just
1: sitting where we're at, so... Yeah, it's good. Good point, Dave.
0: Linda Hall online asked, um, "How do you limit your work time so that other areas of your life don't suffer?" Oh, I don't.
1: I just I work one hundred and twenty hours a week, and no, uh, I think some of that comes. Well, I will tell you, my when I worked at um, when I worked as a as a headhunter, that was one of the best things that happened to me because. Uh, I put some extra hours in here and there, but I mean, and I worked long hours, but at the end of the day, I was done. I didn't go home thinking about how I was gonna place a client or man, this client's looking for a CNC machinist and how am I, I don't have one in the pipeline, so how am I gonna, I didn't do that. I was able to go home and you know, when I got home, whatever, six o'clock, I was done. And so the good thing about that is I've been able to carry that back with me when I came back in full-time church work is uh, I'm, I'm available, I'm on call, but uh, my, my mind is not totally engaged in that 24 hours a day like it was early in my ministry. And so I think you gotta learn some rhythms and routines that will help you actually, um, well, pace yourself a little bit so that you are able to go with some longevity. And that's, that's what I've had to do. Um, and that's not the same for everyone. Everybody's a little different, but I think that's one of the keys for me is to be able to go, hey, if I'm home, I'm home. Um, <laughs> And I don't call my staff. I'm not sending texts and go, what about? Did you, I'm not doing that because I don't want them to do that to me. And so for the most part, when we're home, we're home. And when we're here,
0: we're here. And,
1: you know, I don't know if that's a good answer, but that's what I do.
0: Blairsville is asking in response to quote eight, and this is um, orthogonally related to the first question. Um, It kind of takes it a step further. At what point, if you can't even crawl, is it the right time to decide the road is closed for one reason or another? And when is it time to move to a different path?
1: That reminds me of the uh, Monty Python, where it's like his arms get cut off and his legs get cut off. Anyway, that's what that reminds me of. But um, I don't know. I think you got to exercise wisdom when you go, hey, this might be a season where I've got to pause. Um, and, and we've talked a little about rest in the past. Um, we were, we were made to have rhythms in our life and part of that rhythm is rest. And so if, if you're not resting, um, Kerry Newhoff has a leadership podcast. If you've never listened to it, you should. He's, a, he's been with us several times here at Summit. But Kerry Newhoff says, if you don't make time, if you don't find a Sabbath, a Sabbath will find you because if we go too hard at some point, our bodies will break down and we will have to rest. And so I think there's something to this idea where um, even if it feels like I'm not making forward progress, I can still be growing in my life. Um, There might be seasons where I'm making less progress, uh, where I just go, okay, I've got to be resigned to this. But I, I I don't know that there's ever a time that we're totally inactive. I think that we have to be moving forward to some degree or another. And again, it might look like we're standing still compared to the pace we keep at other times, but...
0: Yeah, Luke DeBizer online is asking if you have a benchmark for a percentage of time that you spend working on yourself or in self-development.
1: No, I think that's seasonal too. I think there's some seasons where it's pretty intensive where like, man, there's some stuff I've got to work through and work on and I'm getting coaching. Like, so this year um, I'm, I'm getting specific coaching. Um, I'm paying someone who um, has a lot more experience than me to be a coach for me. And so this year, I'm going to be more strategic about that than I have been in the past. Um, But no, I don't have like week to week. I'm going to spend 23% of my time on self-development, personal development, things like that. But I think there's a rhythm to it. I think we have to be aware of it. And if we go too long without it, that's when we're in trouble. So I think we just... It's kinda like the dash, you know, your dash has the warning lights, your check engine light, your oil pressure light, all that stuff that warns you. And I think we just have to have an awareness of like where we're at, where our gauges are. To go back to last month's (laughs) leadership night, there you go.
0: That's a good question.
1: Anybody else have a thought on that one? I think that's a good one. Ask the
0: question again, Michael, just to refresh Um, how do you benchmark the percentage of time that you spend in self-development or working on yourself? Do you
1: guys have rules of thumb as far as, hey, I need to be working on myself this much or developing leadership giftings this much or anything like that? Hold on. Yeah, online in Blairsville. Come on
0: now. Uh, Yeah, so my experience with self-development would be that uh, there are seasons, but mm-hmm. also you will not develop yourself unless you are intentional about it. Mm-hmm. That is, you have to purpose to set time aside for self-development. It's like saying, hey, let's have lunch sometime. Yeah. Well, if we don't put it on the calendar, we're never having lunch, yeah. ever. If I say to myself, you know, I need to work on self-development because I have some weaknesses, I want to you know, strengthen some other areas, it will not happen unless I schedule it, make time for it, and I'm very intentional. Mm-hmm.
2: about it
1: yeah I think it's a great point
2: I'll just tag on to that real quick and it kind of ties in to uh, the quote about being able to uh, cast a compelling vision if you have done that for your own personal life if, mm-hmm. if you have clarity around a compelling vision for your life that God has given to you then that's going to compel you to want to uh, do the self development work and the growth that it's going to take to walk into that vision yeah
1: for sure That's a great point. Hey, with that, I'm gonna turn Blairsville back over to uh, Blairsville. And I love you guys, appreciate you joining us. And Pastor Colin will close out the rest of our time. But I hope you guys have an awesome night. We'll see you the beginning of next month for another leadership night. But we're gonna stay in the room and those watching online, stay tight with us. We're gonna continue on just for a little bit. So what else? Any other questions or thoughts or any of the quotes that stood out to you that you're like, dang, that was, I needed to hear that one.
0: So you spoke about the value of um, building your education through learning and reading and the ne- the necessity of intelligence. But you also said that a good leader requires both intelligence and character. So what are some ways that we can build our character alongside of our intelligence?
1: Mm, that's a good question. Thoughts
0: on that? From
1: the room, how do we build our character, not just our intelligence? You're a room full of leaders. I know that you guys have opinions about this, so come on. What are your thoughts? How do you build character? Always do the right thing. Always do the right thing. That's easier said than done. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, for sure. That's a good one. What are some other thoughts on that? How do we build character? Okay, and I would disagree with you that adversity doesn't necessarily build character because um, I've seen lots of people go through adversity and it did not help their character any. Uh, but I think what we do in that adversity does, I think you're exactly right on that part. Your to- yeah. yeah, 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 good call. Yeah, our response to adversity yeah, makes a huge difference. I think uh, routines and going on the personal development stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, if you, if you could do those things for you it's easy for, for you to do that. For your yeah. Yeah. Good call. I like that. I wish I was taking notes on that. You you laid it out there, Larry. I like that. And that's I mean I think what we're talking about is doing things where we don't feel like doing, doing things that are contrary to our flesh or comf- contrary to our comfort. Um and that's Hugely important in building character, and you know, I would say, even for those that are not believers or not Christians, um, there's something powerful about this. But especially as believers, um, doing the hard things and understanding that it's ultimately for the glory of God is what um, should drive us with a lot of our behavior. Um, again, I'm going to refer to Kerry Newoff. If you haven't ever listened to his podcast, Kerry Newoff leadership podcast, Kerry says, um, I heard him say years ago, work twice as hard on your character as your capacity. Um, and what typically happens is we work really hard on our capacity, but we neglect our character and, um, and our character will undermine our capacity if we're not careful. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's important for us to continually be working on our character. That's a great question. The way I learned it is, uh, your thoughts
2: can become habits, you have a habit of thought, that's your attitude. Mm-hmm. Your attitude is going then to largely determine your actions and your repeated actions, that becomes your character. So it mm-hmm. really begins with thinking the right thoughts. Mm-hmm. You know, for believers, obviously, that's where our thought life should come from. Yeah, and, it all kind of begins there for sure on thinking the right things our attitudes are messed up and our actions are messed up and will not have character
1: yeah
0: yeah that's good so just to summarize what i think i'm understanding from this for the people online we're talking about what we're circling around the idea of doing hard things things that maybe don't come natural to us and then making a routine out of doing those hard things and that's part of the process of building character
1: mm-hmm Yeah, I mean, so within the Christian context, um, it's not very dynamic to say things like, hey, pray every day or read your Bible every day or, you know, there are some spiritual disciplines that we encourage people to do fast, you know? Like these are the kind of things that are not very dynamic, but they're the things that are contrary to our comfort many times. And if we get in a routine of doing these things, they actually do make us better. Um, believers make us, our characters improve, all those kind of things. So yeah, yeah, that's good. What else? Thoughts, feedback, questions about the quotes? Oh, Larry, you are wealth tonight, of a fountain of knowledge, so. Well,
2: I, I'm,
0: I'm here for the questions, so. <laughs> Um, you mentioned managing through change. Uh-huh. Um, could you give an example of maybe you coming into an organization, um, your personal experience of how you deal with some of the adversity of people pushing back on new leadership, um, the changes that you were trying to implement as a leader in that organization, mm-hmm. some of the things that you dealt with.
1: Yeah. Um, we need to, uh I need to find, I have an old Back 40 pod uh, talk that I did at one of our Back 40 conferences. We need to share that. Remind me, Michael, and I'll, I'll get that to you and we can share that as a podcast. But uh, I talk in, in, that, in the conference about, basically I outline some of my failures and some of the things that I learned through some of my really difficult experiences. And some of those things I learned here because it's easy to look at like growth and where we've come from, you know, wow, like, look at how good we're doing. But um, and there's a few people in the room that remember the early days when I first came, and it was not all, it was not all butterflies and rainbows, man. There were some very unhappy people when I first came, and um, and it was it was challenging, and I had some hate mail, and I had, I mean, it was it was not easy. The first 90 days was rough, and um, and it wasn't personal. I've I've told people before, if Jesus Christ would have been named the pastor of this church instead of me. I think all the same stuff would have happened. I think he would have still got hate mail. And so I tried to do my best not to take it personally. Um, but one of the things that saved us through that was every weekend we were seeing people saved. And, and so no matter what the criticism was, I could say, we had eight people respond for Jesus this weekend, like that said yes to him. And for us as an organization, that's kind of the North star for us. it's like, this is the goal, this is the standard. And so I think organizationally, change is easier for people, even that are very resistant to change when they see the results. And so I think if you're producing results, that makes a huge difference, that helps a lot. But I think other than that, one of the most important things you can do is have those conversations, talk about the objections, talk about, you know, and and uh, I told somebody this week, I said, um, the change that we are resistant to might bring the greatest gifts in our lives, but we can't imagine that because we're only seeing what we're losing in the change. And so even when we moved here, I believed that it was gonna be a good change for us, but I will tell you, uh, this is not gonna be a shock to some of you that are from, you know, from the church, um, I I was talking to Emma today about this, about her moving off. And she said, are you gonna be sad? And I, yeah. And I told her, I said, do you remember when we drove out of Nana and Papa's driveway the last time to move to Pennsylvania? And she said, yep, I'm gonna tear up now. But man, I cried. I mean, I don't think my girls have ever seen me cry like that because I hugged my dad. I hugged my dad, the biggest hug in the world. He's my best friend. And I knew it's gonna be different. I knew things were gonna change in our relationship because I'm not gonna see them every day. I, and so what I had to believe is the change, the, the good that I'm leaving behind is not as good as the good that I'm gonna find. But I had to imagine that. And so the challenge for us as leaders is to help make that a reality for our people and understand that, hey, the good that you are leaving behind is not as good as the good that we're moving forward to. Um, and it's really hard because all they can see is what they have in their hand right then. And so I think the better we can get at at showing them the good that's available because of the changes, the easier it's going to be. But it is always resistant. Um, and, you know, we, there were five board members when I first came to Summit. And I told them, here's what we're going to do. Uh, here's what I'd like to do. I want us to be planning locations. I think we can have another location. I think we can be growing. I think we, you know, kids and... You know, we laid out the game plan and they said, yes, they affirmed it. Let's go. And today two of those five board members, they're not part of our church and it's not because they're evil or bad, but they just said, wait a second. I don't think I actually want to go where you're going. And that's okay. We love them, but they went to be part of a different body, you know, a different church and they're still going to heaven. We're still going to heaven. But at the end of the day, even people that affirm the vision for you and go, yeah, we want to go where you're going. A lot of times they don't. And so that's where you just have to understand like, okay, not everybody's gonna make the journey with us. But I think the more compelling you can make the vision, the more you can help them see what the actual good is, I think the better it's gonna be. I gave you the really long answer, but does that make sense?
0: Do you think when you, you talk about measuring the wins or the successes, it is important to is it important to establish like a, a metric of success, something that's easily uh, relatable to the entire team?
1: Yeah, and some uh, some organizations are easier than others. Like within our organization, there's some of our staff. It's really hard to have metrics. Like Craig, Craig is our facility director here at Summit, and Craig does a great job. It's really hard to have a metric for his job to help us measure success. And so we have to figure out other ways by, by which to measure success. I think organizationally it's a little easier than it is with, when you get in the the micro with some of the staff, but yeah, I think it's really important to figure out, okay, what's really important to us. Um, And like for churches, we talk about this all the time because people will say things like, I talk to pastors that'll say things like, um, and I literally had a pastor say, we don't measure nickels and noses around here. And he took a lot of pride in the fact that they don't count how many people show up on a Sunday or how much money they bring in. I was like, you are so full of crap. I know for sure you do. It's like, we we don't know. We just put the money in a vault somewhere and we don't even count it. We don't even know. It's like, come on, man, you absolutely do. And so I think at the end of the day, you know, sales organizations, it's easy. Like you, you probably are measuring whatever it is you celebrate. What are, the, what are the things you're celebrating? That's a clue to what's important to your organization. Um, and so even if it's not a formal celebration, but the things that you're getting bonused on at, at the end of a quarter, that's what your organization celebrates, that's what the wins are. And so, yeah, I think it's important for you to figure out like the people you're leading, Hey, what are the wins and what are the things we're going to celebrate? Because that's where the wins are found. Again, that was a long answer. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Thank you. All right. Good question, Larry. Got a few more minutes. Any other questions or thoughts? Or
0: In your experience working with leaders, how much of their poor decision-making is a consequence of not knowing what they needed to know when they needed to know it, and how much of it is a consequence of their own wickedness even when they knew better? Gosh,
1: these light ones just lobbing softballs up to me, Michael. Thanks. You just got a, you just got a taste of the back 40 leadership podcast right there because Michael will come up with the questions beforehand, but I never, ever look at them until we actually get in. I sit down and he goes, here's what we're going to talk about. Oh my gosh. Um, so poor decision-making a consequence of not having enough information versus our own wickedness. Oh gosh, that's a great question. Anybody have thoughts on that? Okay, I think it depends because I think a person can be a high character person, and typically they're not going to be making poor decisions because their lack of character. If their poor decisions, if poor decisions are being made, it's going to be primarily because I I have insufficient information, uh, so I'm making decisions on bad information. Um, and I think again, there's room in there to say, okay, I made a rash decision. I, I rushed. Too quickly to respond when I shouldn't have. I should have waited, or I waited too long to respond. When I, you know, there's room for some of those kind of things. But I think if we have a this this paradigm where it's one of the or the other, I think high character people are still going to make stupid decisions at times. But it's going to be because well, I didn't know. I didn't know this, and we decided to do this. Whereas if you are low character, I think you're a lot more prone to make decision bad decisions because now you're dealing with bad information and bad character that's gonna lead you astray. So you're
0: which, still gonna screw up if you have high character, but it's gonna be which, safer. Which kind of bad decisions have the worst impact? The ones fueled by insufficient information or the that's ones a, fueled by wickedness That's a generally? great question
1: too. Uh, I'll, I'll open it up to the room. I wanna hear what you guys have to say about that. Which one of those two things, here, let's go over here. Wait one second, I wanna make sure. I wanna make sure we the interwebs hears you on this one.
3: These are these are certainly some high-level questions, and I don't know that I'm up for the challenge. I would offer just as a response to that: I think ill intention is a greater evil than uh, unknowing, and only because we can do some real harm as leaders if we're ill-intentioned. And sometimes we can be great leaders and down a wrong path. And when we know we're down the wrong path, that can bring a number of other troubles to everybody else. And um, so that would be my answer to that question. I did. I did want to say to the change question that um, universally, I believe an accurate statement is people are equally as uh, uncomfortable with change as they are with the status quo. So it makes sometimes, sometimes people don't like change and they don't like the way Mm -hmm. things are. So it becomes uh, a matter of meeting people where they are, knowing where everybody is, and then it comes down to relationships, trust, and that goes to the quote, the relationships, trust, and in conversation, because it's easy to not like and not trust somebody that you don't know. Mm-hmm. It's easy to take a five-minute snippet of something that you don't like to hear and write off somebody because that's not, that's not uh, maybe your mindset at the time. Yeah. But when we get to know each other, we become safer in a lot of ways because yeah. we're less likely to want to hurt people that we're in relationships with the better relationships that we have with each other, the more that we want to help each other. And so when it comes down to change, it really is about as a leader, at least in my belief, my knowing, is that when we meet people where we are and we build relationships with people, we can then start moving forward because there's a trust level there. Mm -hmm. And if your intention is good, the outcome has an exponentially better chance of being the right outcome. If intentions are bad and there's no trust, I think we're gonna cut each other in bad ways. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and and you know, you mentioned uh, we're equally as uncomfortable with change as the status quo. And, uh, and not to totally push back on that idea, but I, I don't know that there truly is status quo because I really do feel like every organization is changing. Uh, there's there's a, a change at work whether it's intentional or not, whether it's planned or not. And so I tell people all the time, uh, you, can change without, uh, you can change without growing, but you cannot grow without changing. And so um, our organizations are changing all the time because people are getting older, mindsets are, you know, things like that. But, but I agree with you 100%. And I do agree with the, the response to that question. I think um, if somebody has poor character and they're making decisions based on that, that is much more damaging because now it's not just ignorance, it's malevolence. It's, it's um, undermining, it's you know working against leadership or working against the organization. And uh, man, that, that can cause all kinds of damage. No matter what the industry is, no matter how pri- high profile or low pri- profile it is, it can cause a lot of issues. So good answer. 7.59. So here's what we're gonna do. <clears throat> um, I'm gonna close this in prayer. Uh, for those of you watching online or listening to this, we're going to bid you adieu. So thank you for joining us for leadership night. Can't wait to see you back here in uh, the month of February. So the first Wednesday of February, we'll see you back here. And for those of you here in the room, I want to encourage you, make sure you connect with some other leaders in the room. Uh, if there are people you don't know, go say hi, connect with them ask questions, uh, but there are some great leaders here and I wanna encourage you, don't just walk out. Uh, take advantage of this opportunity to connect with some people leader, uh, uh, relationally because we talked about it tonight, you are better together. So let me pray over you and then we will close out. Lord, thanks so much. For the people that were here, the people watching online, the people that were in Blairsville, I pray that, Lord, we would walk out of this place with at least one thing that's gonna help us lead better, uh, whether it's in our home or in our community or in our business. And I pray that as we do, you'd be glorified. So thank you for these people. Keep them safe as they're traveling. And I pray that you bring us back safely next month. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Guys, again, thanks so much for joining us for Leadership Night. Really do appreciate it. If it's good, if it's helpful, invite somebody to join you or share the podcast with somebody. And uh, let's continue to help people lead better in our community. Love you guys. God bless you.
0: If you enjoy this content, please let us know by rating and reviewing the podcast. You can also contact us at summitpodcast.church. Remember to share this episode with your friends and on social media. Summit Podcasts can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Thank you for listening to Summit Podcasts, and we will see you in the next episode.